0: Hey, I'm Cameron, and thanks for checking out this message today. We're glad that you are here and would love to get connected with you and your family. One easy way you can do that is to text River Connect to 97000. You can also visit our website at theriverchurch.cc to learn more about us and some of our upcoming events. Lastly, if you would like to give to the River Church today, you can text the amount that you want to give to 84321, or you can head to our website and click the Give tab at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's message. So, uh, I I shared a little bit, you know, about how it was good to be back and how um, this last uh, week, you know, I I was down in Florida. And for me, whenever I go home to Florida, uh, I'm I'm very thankful to be able to be there. Uh, This year, I was... Uh, We had to wake up, I think we woke up, what, 3.30, Meg? We had to be at the airport. Uh, We left our house at 4 to get to the airport on Christmas morning. Uh, So it was a bit of an early start Christmas morning. Um, But it was awesome. It it was great to be home. Uh, You know, Even though we had to leave so early, it meant that we had all day Christmas with my family. And for me, whenever I go home, it's a little bit bittersweet. And, I, and take that with a grain of salt, I love my family, it has nothing to do with them, I love being with them, I had a lot of fun, we did a lot of fun stuff, uh, I love getting to see my parents and my sister and, and my extended family down there. But for me, whenever I'm home, naturally, uh, as I sit with my family, I sit with my parents, I start to hear stories about people from my hometown, People that maybe they have heard news of or they've heard stories about. Maybe that they saw pictures on Facebook or uh, read things that I just hadn't heard about because I'm terrible when it comes to Facebook. And uh, and to be honest, it really saddens me. Because a lot of the stories that I hear aren't like great stories. It's not like uplifting things like, oh, you know, I heard such and such had a baby. It, it's, it's hard things. It, it, it's hearing about people maybe who have strayed away from their faith or people who uh, haven't pursued the Lord and they've gotten themselves into some really sticky situations and they're, they're really in dark places or in hard times. And my heart just breaks, right? These are people that I love. These are people that I've grown up around. There's peop- these are people who have had impact in my life, who I've spent a significant amount of time with. And immediately I feel convicted. And especially as I knew that we were getting ready to come into this series uh, about the mission of our church and starting off with REACH, I felt convicted because as I thought about these people and these people who I had an opportunity to be around for such a significant period of time in my life, I realized the opportunities that I had missed, specifically when it came to the gospel when it came to reaching these people with the gospel and discipling these people and caring for them, and I look at my life now and the opportunities that I get to preach the gospel, and I look and I say, I had every opportunity then to as well, and I just didn't do it. And I feel convicted, and I feel saddened, and I, there's a part of my spirit that is just broken over that. And I share that with you this morning, not to guilt you, but to hopefully motivate you for the opportunities that you have now in your world today. We're going to talk a little bit about that this morning and what Paul has to say about those opportunities in the book of Philippians. But if you would, pray with me, bow your heads with me. Lord, Lord, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the truth of the gospel and what it means. Lord, this morning as we dive into your word, I pray that you would truly convict us in a way that leads to repentance, in a way that leads to growth, motivation, and passion for your word and your gospel. Lord, we love you. your precious and holy name, Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, if you would, turn with me to the book of Philippians. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 1. We're going to be in verse 12. But hold your finger there because it's going to take a second for us to get there, and I'll explain what I mean. So First of all, you have to understand why we're here, right? Why are we in the book of Philippians? Uh, you, Maybe you are may here um, in August, and, and you're here during our Reach, Gather, Grow series in August, and you're like, why are we doing this again, right? Well, didn't we just go through Reach, Gather, Grow? Why are we doing it in a different book? Well, here's the thing. Reach, Gather, Grow, though it is our kind of church's slogan, we believe, as the River Church, that it is our mission, That we see these three commands given to us throughout the whole of Scripture. And so, we as humans have the tendency to kind of lose our way or get distracted by this thing and that thing. And so, continually, we feel that it's necessary for us as believers to dive back into the fundamentals, to the principles. And so... We believe that these principles, like I said, are found throughout Scripture, that we see them in a myriad of different books and places throughout Scripture, that we see that we are commanded to reach the world according to the gospel, gather with the saints to celebrate the gospel, and grow in the word according to the gospel. And specifically, as we dive in this, this month to take a look at what it means to reach and gather and grow, Together, we're taking a look at the book of Philippians, and what Paul has to say to the church of Philippi about reaching people, gathering together, and growing in the Word. And if you've been around for a little bit, you know that anytime I like to start a book, the first thing I want to talk about is who wrote it, and what were they doing when they wrote it, right? For me, it always helps to understand a letter when you get in the headspace of the author, you start to understand what they're addressing, what they're talking about. You understand the broader contact, context of what they're saying. In the same way, if someone wrote a letter to you, most of the time, the very first thing you do is scale down to the bottom and look who wrote the letter? So you can understand maybe the inside jokes that they're telling you or what the different things that they're saying to you actually mean or how significant or how maybe for some of you, how intensely you need to read this letter or whether you're just going to skim through it. And we see that in the, the, the book of Philippians is written by... Paul, if you scan to the very first verses, you see he, he, like, he, he says, hey, this is from Paul, right? So they know who is writing, and, and it's to the church at Philippi, which is, you know, it, it is a Roman city, right, uh, where Paul himself had gone and planted a church and discipled them and cared for them, uh, and he, he, had, he had been there with them, and then he had left. And Paul is actually writing this letter to the church at Philippi from his prison cell in Rome or from his imprisonment in Rome and if you want to know that that's the case you can actually look to Acts 28 we're not going to turn there if you want to turn there or mark that for later you can see uh, we see kind of the course of Paul's life and Acts 28 it talks about where he's writing and what he's doing and towards the later end of his life and we see that he, in Acts 28, he's in Rome, and he's preaching, and he's, he's sharing the good news of Christ. And because he was preaching the gospel in Rome, they threw him in prison. They captured him. They said, ah, nope, you're not allowed to do that. You're preaching that there is one true God. And we believe that uh, there are a multitude of gods, and specifically that one of those gods is Caesar, the emperor, and so you can't say that there are no other gods but this one. That is insurrection, right? You are trying to lead a revolution. You're trying to stir up trouble. And so they arrested Paul, and they, they they had to figure out what to do with Paul because for the Romans, Paul was a very dangerous man. Not because he was a skilled warrior, not because you know he was you know really good at lock picking and getting himself out of jail cells. No, he was a very dangerous man because he had the power to influence people. Through the gospel, through the power of the gospel, he can lead, in their minds, revolutions. He can lead prison breakouts by getting all of the prisoners on one accord according to this gospel that he's preaching. And so they had to figure out what to do with him. They were like, we can't send him to a normal prison because he could stir up all this trouble with all the inmates. So we have to figure out how to keep him separate. And so what they did is they, they got him a home or like a, a small villa. They outfitted it as a makeshift prison. And they had a guard chained to him 24-7. And so the guards would take shift after shift. And Paul was kind of stuck in this villa alone where sometimes they would let visitors in. But basically he was stuck there alone so that he couldn't really do anything. And so what does Paul do? He begins to write letters. Uh, and he spends his time there with this, this uh, guard who's chained to him. And when I think of like a terrible punishment, that in my mind is what it is, right? Like having someone chained to me 24-7, I'm like, Seriously, like that is terrible. Like I have to sleep, and you're just like awkwardly standing beside me because you can't fall asleep, you're a guard, right? Going to the bathroom, don't even want to touch that whole subject, right? Like it is a mess. Having someone chained to me 24-7 would just be miserable. I don't want to be tied down and I don't want to be alone because this person's probably not going to be the most chatty of people, right? Like it is just going to be a whole miserable thing. And as the church at Philippi. Heard about Paul's imprisonment? You can understand their their concern, right? Their concern is that Paul, who went to Rome and went to Rome to share the gospel, is now imprisoned and can't do that. And so they look and they're like, "Oh, the gospel is being hampered. That people aren't being reached. This is this. Is, they are shutting down God's plan in Rome." And there's this concern, and there's this worry, and, and then this discouragement like begins to creep in, right? If they can shut down Paul, how are they gonna shut down us? And Paul hears word of this, and as he writes, he addresses that. And that's where we're gonna pick up here in Philippians chapter one, verse twelve through fourteen. Wow, voice crack. What am I thirteen? All right. <laughs> Philippians 1, 12 through fourteen says this. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers have, been, have become more confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, as much more bold to speak the word without fear. He he writes to the church in Philippi, he says, here's the deal. The gospel cannot be thwarted by schemes of man. He says, you are so concerned that they are stopping the plans of the gospel, when in fact God used this as a plan to further the gospel. It was interesting, I was listening to a sermon by Pastor John MacArthur, and he, he gave this incredible insight by describing the, the difference between our thought and Paul's thought toward his imprisonment, right? I look, and I'm like, oh, it must be miserable to be chained to a guard 24-7. But Paul, right, he's looking, he's like, I'm not stuck with a guard. The guard is stuck with me, Right? I have a guard 24-7 that I can share the gospel with, and he's chained to me, right? Like, he cannot leave. This is what I've dreamed of, right? Paul is excited. He's like, this itself is the perfect gospel opportunity. And he gets excited. He's like, this must be the plan that God has, and he takes every advantage of it. He sits and he writes. And as he writes. Right, I can only imagine that he's speaking. He's talking to to this guard. About the glory of the Lord. And, and the goodness of salvation. And what it means. All these different things. He's preaching the good news. He's He's demonstrating it through his life. And his patience. And his grace. And his love. His meekness. In this horrible situation. And of course. This guard sees it. This guard hears those things and begins to engage. And guard after guard, shift after shift, comes through and has this incredible experience with Paul who, through the power of the Holy Spirit and of the gospel, radically changes his life, their lives. And we see that As Paul writes, he talks about this revival that's beginning to start in the Imperial Guard. See, these guards are going back and they're sitting around campfires with other soldiers and they're talking about hey, have you heard what that guy Paul is talking about? Have you heard why he's in prison? No, he's not a murderer. No, he's not a revolutionary. No, he's talking about this guy who came and who was God and who lived on earth and who died for our sins. I know y'all messed up. I know I messed up, right? And I have this need for salvation. And Paul, this guy, this prisoner, he's telling me that salvation can come through a relationship with Jesus Christ. That through his death and resurrection, we killed him. The Romans, we killed him. And he came back to life. And through his death, through the shedding of his blood, I have forgiveness of my sins before God. Right, and there's this there's this beautiful picture of how the gospel cannot be thwarted, cannot be stopped. And so Paul writes to the this church the church of Philippians, he says, "Don't get discouraged. As you come up against obstacle and obstacle and obstacle, those actually are just more opportunities. Use them." Use those opportunities to preach the gospel. Use those opportunities to stay motivated to help people have salvation. To lead them. He says, this is the very command that Christ gave us. Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is our command. Stay motivated. Don't get discouraged. He is with us. And he is made a way. And there's no greater power than him. And no obstacle is too great. In fact, it's just another opportunity. What he's saying here is the gospel has supreme importance. It has supreme meaning in our lives. It is the very essential thing that we live by. And if that is true for our lives, how can we look at other people and want anything for them other than to know the good news that we have, the gospel that we have, the truth of the death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for our sins. That if we confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that he is Lord and died for our sins, that he will forgive us those sins and provide for us eternal life. And that only through him can we have salvation. And so the question comes, who is chained to you? Right As you walk through your lives, you, you may look at your work and say, oh, I'm just chained to my coworkers. I really wish I could get rid of a few. Give me some bolt cutters, right? Or, you know, I mean, look, I'm like, oh, I'm stuck with this family member who just, just causes problem after problem after problem. Or man, I'm stuck with this friend. They're just so needy and I can't really shed them off. And as much as I try and ghost them, they just keep coming back with problem after problem after problem. Don't they understand I got my own problems? There are all these things that we look to in this negative way of, I'm chained, I'm stuck. I have these things and I just have to bear with them. And eh, I got to figure out how to live with them. We have to have a mindset of Paul. No, 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 you're not chained to them. They're chained to you. All those scenarios that I just gave are perfect opportunities for the gospel to step in. Perfect places to reach people with the gospel. Some of you are groaning right now. You're like, I don't want to think about sharing the gospel with that person. I don't want to think about that person as an opportunity. That's difficult. That's awkward. It's weird. And I just I'm trying to talk to them less and you're telling me talk to them more. Yes. Yes, that is the gospel. Who is chained to you? Who is the opportunity that you have? And honestly, I want you to think of their name. Take a second and think of one person specifically that you know is your opportunity for the gospel. And in a second, we're going to talk about what the gospel means. And I'm going to say the gospel means blank for us. And every time I say us, I want you to think of that person's name. Because that is what the gospel is for. The gospel is for you and I, but the gospel is also for the non believer, the person who needs the gospel. And you need to know what they're missing out because you aren't taking the opportunity to reach them. And I know that may seem bold or straightforward, but we can't afford to beat around the bush any longer. The gospel is that necessary. And if you don't know the gospel this morning, if It's news to you that Christ Jesus died for you and rose again. I would love to talk with you, but put your name in the blank then. Maybe that's weird for you. Sorry, I'm a little bit of a weird guy. You just heard my voice crack, so you know it's a little bit weird, right? But think about that as we go through what the gospel means this morning. First thing, the gospel means identity for us. Turn with me to John chapter one. It's interesting as we as I talk to family members, as I talk to people uh, throughout my job, and just as I'm out and about. One of the biggest questions that I see come through from culture and people is, "What is my identity?" Right, and and to many different people, that question means different things. Right, where do I fit in? Where am I accepted? Who am I? Who should I be? What is worth striving for? What's valuable? Right? That question can have a bunch of different meanings in a bunch of different situations. But the truth is they are seeking that question. What is my identity? And people will strive their whole lives to find it. People will look time after time and move from thing to thing to thing looking for the answer. And then they think they'll find the answer only to go back to the drawing board after a major life change or a hard circumstance comes up in their life. And once again, they're asking that same question. Who am I? What is my identity? And the gospel provides a beautiful answer to that question. And a firm and final answer to that question. And John in his gospel, he lays out at the very beginning. He says, this is the answer, and here's the process by which you, which you get there. He says this, John chapter 1, verses 12 through 13. But to all who did receive him, he's talking about the word, more specifically Jesus Christ. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. He says there is this great answer to that question is what is my identity? And it comes through the gospel. That when you accept the gospel, you have the identity as a child of God. And it didn't come from what you did. Because you mess everything up. I mess everything up. We mess everything up as humanity. We do thing after thing after thing and get ourselves into more and more difficult circumstances. He says, It's not because of you. It's not because of someone else. It's because God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die as a substitute for you. And then he showed that the payment went through in his resurrection. He says, You want to know where you belong? It's in the arms of God. You want to know where you're accepted? It's as a child of God among fellow children, believers. You want to know what it means to have direction in your life? God provides it as our Father. And there's just... Answer after answer to question after question about who am I? What do I do? Where am I accepted? What does life mean? It's all found in your identity as a child of God through the gospel. It defines us. It leads us. It captivates us. It brings us to something greater. And the question is, why would you not want someone to have the truth of the gospel in this way? Why would you not want someone who you are bound to, who is around you, who you have influence in, why would you not want them to have this identity? You look and you see them searching and you have the map. Stop watching them scramble in the dark. Tell them. Because I can think of no greater identity than that. Second, The gospel means love for us. Turn with me to 1 John 4, 16 and 17. And a lot of times when we talk about love, right, this is a very tender topic, right? There's already maybe some thoughts that are coming to your mind when I talk about what love means. And typically, right, we see demonstrated in culture and in the world that love means unconditional acceptance and support of someone's choices or identity. That's what we're told. That that's what love is. That you love someone when you unconditionally accept them and support the things that they do or choose to be. And I look and I just see such a false sense of what love is. Yes, love is deep. But it's a deep care for someone, and a desire for what is best for that person, right? You would not say a parent loves their child if they unconditionally accept their child's choice to play in the middle of a Target parking lot. You'd be like, that's not love. That's being a bad parent, right? That is foolishness. That is apathy on behalf of that parent. That is, in fact, a lack of love. Because love in that scenario would be going and telling them, no, we're not playing football in the Target parking lot. Or or specifically, like, like if you want to talk about your love within the context of marriage, right? As I love my wife, my desire is not that she just makes any choice. My love is helping and supporting and uplifting her and encouraging her to make the right choice not making it for her, not dictating what she has to decide, but helping her and caring for her so that she makes the right choices or as best as we can. And as John writes his epistle, he begins to describe how this love is demonstrated to us by God, how this true love is shown to us as believers and how we should demonstrate this love unto others. It says this, 1 John 4, 16 and 17. So we have come to know and believe that the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us. So that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is also, are we in this world. He says, the love is that perfect picture of the gospel. If you were left to your own devices, if God unconditionally accepted your choices, you would still be choosing sin. You would still be choosing death. You would still be choosing the world. You would still be choosing to be lost. And he says, through the gospel... We have come to know that perfect love for us, that God desired what was best for us, and in so doing so sent his son Jesus Christ to die for us and to lead us away from death into life. Then he gives us his word so that we can continue to pursue the path of righteousness, making right decisions in a fallen world. He says this isn't like his word that's just... Dictating us and telling us, you have to do this, you have to do this, you have to do this. It's a letter of love helping us to see what is best for us. And we look at his commands and say, "Oh, I hate that. I don't want to do that. Or that's hard and I don't want that in my life. Or, you know, I'll just avoid that book because it's a little bit too difficult. We're missing, we're misunderstanding what his love for us is and why he's given us his word it's because he loves us because he wants us to choose what's best for us in the way in which we live but then we see at the latter part of this verse he says because as he is also we are as oh wait because uh, as he is so also are we in the world he says because he's given us the gospel and shown us clearly the path of salvation That is our directive in the world. As God loves us, we should love others. And what loving others means is helping them make the right decision. And the best decision any other person could make is for the gospel. It's to find salvation. And so the rough truth that we see in this is you cannot say you love someone and not seek to reach them with the gospel. Those things combat each other. You can't say, on one hand, "I love this person and I desire what's best for them, and in this hand, hold what's best for them, and keep them separate." Yeah, it may be uncomfortable. Yeah, it may not always go great at times, but this is what's best for them, the gospel. And love is helping them see that. Now we have to also do it in a loving way. Right? We don't take the gospel on this person. We just, right? Like, that's not how we do things. We speak truth in love, in grace, seasoned with salt. Through prayer for that person. Telling someone the gospel, sharing the gospel with someone, helping them see the good news of Jesus Christ and salvation is the best possible way to love them. Not the only way. Husbands, this is, you, know, you don't get to just share Christ, with, uh, share Christ with your wife and just be like, ah, oh, best way to love you. Sorry, I'm out. It's not the only way, but it is the best way to love anyone is to help them see the truth of the gospel. Last thing, the gospel means healing for us. Man, as I look around the world, I see just the brokenness of person after person after person. (coughs) And, And truthfully, as I look, that brokenness breaks my heart. Maybe you've heard over the last couple weeks, I've been preaching hard on the gospel every single week. It's because as I look at people in our world and, and the healing that they need, I know that that comes from Jesus Christ, Him alone. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. Here, Peter is, is writing about just the very core of the gospel. And how it changes us as, as humanity. And, and he gives this beautiful, beautiful illustration of what it means. It says this, 1 Peter two twenty four, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Man, that is such a vivid picture. I don't know if you're like me, but I can, I can just see, right, this picture of, of Jesus being hit with a lash and this gaping wound opening and on my body a wound closing. Man, true healing, true restoration only comes from the gospel. It only comes from salvation and the direction that he gives us as we pursue him as our Lord and Savior. Healing between us and God, right? Through forgiveness of sins and being made righteous. Healing between us and others as I talked about a couple weeks ago when he talked about peace, right? And the healing that comes from salvation in our interaction with other people and between us and ourselves, right? We have some deep wounds. We have some hurts that we carry with us, some burdens that we bring everywhere we go, from relationship to relationship, from place to place, from situation to situation. Only by his grace are those healed, right? Healing from past hurt, Healing from forgiveness for past deeds, direction towards redemption, protection from spiritual attack, truth in the midst of the lies we believe. That is the healing of the gospel in our lives. Man, the world needs that. Man, that person needs that healing, right? Maybe one of the reasons you're struggling with them is because they're a really broken person. You're like, Lord, you got some healing cut out for you, right? And that's the truth. That's why they need the gospel. Man, I had some healing that I needed from the Lord. You look at me before I knew the Lord, you'd be like, Lord, you got some healing ahead of you. So why is our heart not moved the same way Towards people in our lives. Towards that person that's chained to us. And when I look at these three things, and this is a taste of what the gospel really is. Man, there are so many things I could. We could go through a whole series on the gospel. Is this? The gospel is this. The gospel is this. Because truthfully, it is so ma- so much packed into one good news, one truth: salvation through Jesus Christ through His death and resurrection. And what Paul says here is, nothing can stop it if we are faithful. God makes a way. So, get faithful. Reach. Lead others to Christ. Have spiritual conversations. Speak truth. Live the gospel. And so, the question that we close with is how are you going to give the gospel? To the people chained to you. That person that you're thinking of, that person that the gospel means healing for, that person that the gospel means love for, that person that the gospel means identity for, how are you going to reach them with the gospel? That's why I loved the way that we started off this morning, right? With Pastor Jason sharing with us his, his heart for the gospel and our church's heart for the gospel. And I would encourage you, check out that learning to reach your world. That's how you can start to learn. But how are you going to reach people with the gospel that are chained to you? Let's pray this morning.